Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 25. If you're new around here, every week we get into a place where we open up the scripture and we, we teach from it. We believe it's as relevant today as the day that it was written. This story in particular tells the story of two brothers. We're in a series called Sunday School, and so we're looking at these classic stories in the book of Genesis. And so even if you haven't been in church your whole life or, or parts of your life, you probably have heard this story, Jacob and Esau and the, the selling of the birthright over some stew. And so we see these two brothers, right, Jacob and Esau. And early on in the story, it gives us some context. Esau is a man of the fields. He's a hunter. He's skilled with the bow. I was uh, at coffee with a, a guy the other day, and we were kind of chatting through some ministry stuff. He's a pastor at another church in town. And we got to the point after kind of talking about ministry, and we go, so, so what do you like to do? And I was like, well, I love to play golf. And I said, what about you? What do you like to do? And he's like, I like to hunt and I like to fish. And I said, we're just going to be friends in the coffee shop uh, because I don't, that's not me. And so Esau is that guy. Jacob, he liked to golf, okay? He was in the tent. He kind of lived a quiet life and uh, he cooked and uh, that was him. And so these brothers are very, very different. They're very different guys. And uh, we're going to see in this story how these brothers interact and, and locked into this story uh, are at least two truths, two truths uh, that if we see them, if we, if we learn them, if we live by them, um, can have a dramatic impact on our lives and on our futures. Because what we're going to see in this story is the ramifications of poor decisions. Anyone ever made a poor decision? Yeah, anyone made a poor decision today? Yeah, okay. Uh, poor decisions can lead to permanent damage. Poor decisions can lead to permanent damage. It's a reality that's throughout the story. But even in the reality of the fact that poor decisions can lead to permanent damage, we're going to see hope in the story. And so I want to point out to you the reality of the poor decision, but also um, show the hope that exists in the midst of poor decisions. And so as we get into the story, we see that there was a time when Jacob was cooking some stew. So Jacob's at home and he's doing what he did, which is cooking stew. And Esau is doing what he did. He's out in the field and he's hunting and then he gets done hunting. And apparently he doesn't catch anything, even though he was a skillful hunter. And so he comes back and he sees his brother Jacob and he is feeling exhausted. The story tells us he was exhausted, or he was another uh, term or another word we could use for this word exhausted there is famished, hungry, weak, feeble. Uh, one definition was he had an inability to stand strong. And so Esau comes in after doing what he does, which is hunt, and he has an, an inability to stand strong in the moment. He's weak. And in his moment of weakness now, he's vulnerable. A lack of proper planning. He didn't pack food, apparently, for the trip. He didn't stop and eat during the trip. He didn't have some food ready after the trip. I mean, it's amazing that as you read through this story, had he simply packed a granola bar, his entire life would have changed. I mean, if you've ever been really hungry, you know that if there's a grandma around, you just go to grandma, you ask her for whatever snack she has in her purse, and all of a sudden, you can make proper decisions again. 
Esau didn't do this. He, he planned poorly. He planned poorly, and it set himself up to make a poor decision that would lead to permanent damage. Our poor planning, even in something like this, I'm sure Esau had gone out and hunted before and not caught something and come back hungry, but it hadn't cost him like it did the previous times. And so while he's out hunting and while he's planning poorly, Jacob is at home making some stew. Now, I'm kind of reading into the story, but this just seems like something's being set up for failure here. And so while Esau is out doing what he's supposed to be doing, Jacob, who we're going to see is his brother, but in this story is nothing short of an enemy. And so while Esau is out doing what he's supposed to do, the enemy is at home preparing a trap. And Esau's poor planning creates vulnerability to be taken out by an enemy. See, a poor decision can lead to permanent damage. Poor planning can leave us vulnerable to attack. And so while Esau is out hunting, Jacob's at home cooking the stew. It says Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted. He had an inability to stand strong. And then we get to verse 30. It says, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Let me eat some of that red stew. Let's talk about this stew for a second. It's lentil stew. Let me translate that into modern language. It's a vegan stew. Guy's about to give up his entire birthright for a vegan meal. That's a poor decision. (laughs) We're not even talking about meat. There's no meat in this stew. He's not even going to get full because you're not full after a vegan meal. He's just going to be temporarily somewhat alleviated of his pain. And he's going to give up his future as a result. I think the stew was vegan just to show us how bad of a decision this was. I think there's something in this story that shows us that this stew wasn't even really going to fill him up. It was just going to serve a, a short, temporary need. But he was so overcome by the craving of something, and he had so properly or improperly planned that he's now vulnerable to attack, and he's going to give up his future to satisfy something in the moment. Poor decision. One poor decision can lead to permanent damage. You might be here this morning on the brink of a poor decision that could lead to permanent damage. Maybe this morning is it's God's loving voice calling you back off of that poor decision. He's saying, hold on before you sign that. Hold on before you walk out. Hold on before you quit. Hold on before you commit yourself to that person. Hold on before you make the one poor decision can lead to permanent damage. Some of us, we can look back. We can look back generations ago in our family and and we can see how decisions that were made back then are still in the practical and sometimes in the spiritual impacting us today. 
Sometimes we uh, say things like this. Well, people in my family have always been like this. See, if you caught it in the story, it says that uh, Esau, his people are going to be known as Red Stew or Edom for the rest of their life. His generations after him are going to be named after his poorest decision. We call them Edomites today because Esau ate the red stew. His family line is changed forever because of the poor decision he made in that moment. Some of us live in the shadow of that now. Decisions that were made long before we were ever born. And we can see them and their effects throughout the generations. Now, there is going to be hope in this. I'm going to lay that out, but I want to hit the point first. One poor decision. Think about this. If you just simply follow what should have been for the rest of time, Moses should have said, I was sent here today by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. We wouldn't have known King David because he wouldn't have come from the line. In the Gospel of Matthew, would have said, if everything would have played out the way it was supposed to from a practical perspective, I know about the dream and all of that. I know about God's sovereignty. I'm just saying, in the practical, it should have said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That was the birthright of Esau. Instead, for all of history, it says, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he gave in to red stew. One poor decision led to permanent damage. If you're on the brink of that today, hear God's loving voice. Step back off of it. Step off of that poor decision. Now, there is also hope in this. See, Esau's family line is going to be named Red Stew for the rest of their lives. What a name. That's what they're going to be called. But in Romans chapter 8, we see a spiritual principle. And by the way, in this sermon, what we're seeing is that there's a difference in the spiritual and the practical. That sometimes there are things that happen in the practical that have um, negative ramifications for a long, long time. And although God can do something spiritual to renew, there are still damages in the practical. And maybe there was money in your family generations ago and they lost it all. Guess what? The money's still gone. Now there can be spiritual transformation. That doesn't mean the money's coming back. It's just an easy example. But in Romans chapter 8, we're taught something really valuable uh, because what I don't want us to do today is to walk out of here thinking, I have to be exactly like those who came before me. Uh, everyone in my family, uh, this could be a generic thought, hey, you get caught up in saying, well, well, everyone in our family is broke. Everyone in our family ends up divorced. Everyone in our family has bad relationships between parents and kids. Everyone in our family ends up like this. Everyone ends up dying at an early age. Everyone fill in the blank. Sometimes, and I hear Christians say this, well, you know, people can't change. For a Christian to say people can't change is the exact same way of, or is exactly like saying, I don't believe in the gospel. So according to Romans 8, let me just remind you that you are not a slave to previous generations. 
Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You're given a new family. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are set free. Free from what? Well, we're now children of God. We're adopted into his son, which means we are set free and we don't have to have a fear, fear that we have to be exactly what came in front of us. We don't have to live in that fear anymore. You can be free from that. You can be free from being defined by previous generations. And so if you carry in your head, if you carry in your heart a fear, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn out just like him, I'm going to turn out just like her, I'm gonna, our marriage is going to be just like that, fill in the blank. You're given something new in Christ. You're given something new in Christ. Walk that out. Now, this is the spiritual promise in the midst of this practical point that one poor decision can lead to permanent damage. That there are moments in our life, defining moments in our lives. And we need hope in that too. And we'll find that at the end. How do we stop from, from making that poor decision that could lead to it? Well, we'll get there. Back in Genesis Here's our first truth, right, that, uh, that one poor decision can lead to permanent damage. The hope, though, is that we don't have to be defined because we're given a new family line. But we see something else in here. See, at the end of verse 30, we see the clue to the rest of this, this passage. Esau looks at Jacob. He says, I'm exhausted. Esau looks at his brother, his brother Jacob. He, he looks at his brother, the person that he's supposed to be able to go to in a moment of weakness. Who else are we supposed to, to be able to go to other than our brother in our moment of weakness? If you've been around a redemption for any length of time, you've heard us use the term family, that we believe that as we're all adopted into the family of Christ, that we become brothers and sisters one to another. And so who more are we to go to in our moments of weakness than our family, whether it's our, our real family or our spiritual family? And Esau says to his brother, he says, I'm exhausted. I have an inability to stand strong right now. I'm in a moment of weakness. I'm vulnerable, brother. Esau, Esau may have thought that he was exposing his weakness to a brother. But verse 30 teaches us, very 31, very clearly that he wasn't exposing his weakness to a brother. He was exposing his weakness to an enemy. And exposing our weakness to an enemy leaves us very vulnerable, very vulnerable. In fact, the, the, the crux of this story is that Esau exposes his weakness to somebody who was poised to destroy him. As if the weapon was already pointed, but then the ammunition was given. And so the enemy does what an enemy does. He takes out. Now, in this story, by the way, uh, we, you and I, we have a cosmic enemy in, in the devil. He's our cosmic enemy. His, his desire is to destroy, to seek to kill and to destroy. And then as many of us have experienced, there are going to be people in life who are going to act like Jacob toward us, who are going to want to destroy. 
And so in this story, I want to see how do we identify an enemy? Because an enemy does not have your best future in mind. An enemy has destruction in mind. And so Esau reveals his vulnerability to an enemy. And the next line is this. Jacob said, Jacob said, everything that comes after this to Esau should be, I'm not listening to this. Why? Because it's an enemy that's speaking. Early in my 20s, uh, I, and I was early in my, my ministry, I had a boss, and um, to this day, she was one of my favorite bosses I ever had, and she, she called me into her office one time after I had preached, and, uh, and she said, I want to give you some feedback on your preaching. And so I think I was 20, 19 maybe at the time. So she gave me the feedback on the preaching, and I, uh, and I took the feedback, and I applied it, and I think it, be, it made me a better preacher. And I listened to the feedback because I knew she was a friend. And I knew that she was going, that she wanted to help me to get better. And so it was the proper source. Years later, I had somebody give me some feedback on my preaching, and it affected the way that I preached for a long time. But it was later that I realized that that person wasn't a friend. They were an enemy. And so the feedback that they had given me wasn't actually rooted in my best. It was rooted in, in them. And it actually changed the way that I preached for a long time because I was living in this like almost fear of what that person had said. We have to check the source. When we make decisions in life, uh, when we begin to um, think about how we think about ourselves, we have to check the source. See, there are certain things in life that enemies are going to say, and it could be a big enemy, it could be a little enemy, it could be the cosmic enemy, the devil speaking something in that we need to step back and say, hold on, let me check the source. I'm not hearing that. That's not sinking into my heart. That's not sinking into my mind. I've checked the source and it's not right. How do we know when we're hearing the voice of an enemy? This story tells us. And so Jacob says to Esau, Jacob is going to expose his brother's weakness for his own benefit. Now, I know Jacob becomes somewhat of a redeemable character later on down the road. He has some good God encounters, like when he's uh, you know, sleeping on the rock and there's a dream and some other things. But right now, up until this point, this guy is not a friend. How do you identify an enemy? Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Here's the first way you know it's an enemy. They're going to make the spiritual transactional. They're going to make the spiritual transactional. In the book of Acts, there was a guy who wanted Holy Spirit power. And so he saw Holy Spirit things happening, and he went to one of the apostles. He's like, hey, can I buy that? Can I, can I buy that Holy Spirit thing? And the apostle looked back and said, you can't buy this. You can't buy Holy Spirit power. You can't make the spiritual a transaction. Your enemy, an enemy, wants to make the spiritual transactional. Let me play that out a little bit. Your purity isn't for sale. But the enemy will want to make your spiritual, something of spiritual value, transactional. Your integrity isn't for sale. Your credibility, your spiritual uh, uh, authority, your spiritual vitality, these things are not for sale. But what an enemy does is try to make this thing of great spiritual value transactional. 
So let's just cheat the system a little bit. Or the enemy will speak, uh, your, your spiritual vitality, you know, it's, it's, it's created through consistent time with God, but let's make this transactional. And the enemy will speak, well, why don't you just give me some of your time instead of giving it to God? And what the enemy's always going to want to do is take this thing of great spiritual value and try to have some kind of physical transaction to get you to exchange the thing of spiritual value for something physical. And so, yeah. When we're not married, this looks like, uh, let me take this thing of spiritual value, right? Uh, sexual purity in front of God. Let's take this, this spiritual value and let's exchange it for something physical. Uh, when you're running a business or, or you're working, it's, it's let's take the integrity of honesty and let's, 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 let's create a transaction for a little bit more money. The enemy wants to make what is, what is spiritual just a transaction. And so there's this spiritual thing, this birthright. And, and Jacob just looks at Esau and goes, oh, just sell it to me. The spiritual value, it's not that big of a deal. Just, just sell it to me. No, your spiritual health. What is right before God is not, it's not for sale. He says, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. The, the second way. The second way we know it's an enemy is the enemy will want to exchange your future prosperity for some type of short-term need. And so the enemy will, will look in and say, sell me your birthright. You know what? A birthright would have made Esau this. Uh, I'll use modern language. The CEO, the, the pastor, and the president over this family. That's what the birthright would have given him. He would have been in charge of the money, he would have been in charge of the faith, and he would have been in charge practically and operationally of a family that's going to be known as Israel, the country. The guy sold, it's like selling Amazon stock or ownership of Amazon for, for vegan stew. That's what happens in this moment. And an enemy wants to look at you and say, let me take your future prosperity and I'll give you some short-term need right now. But purity now leads to intimacy later in your marriage. Your enemy could be something way less than that. It could just be the person who's trying to get you to do a foolish financial decision, but like, like proper financial handling now leads to being financially stable later. Uh, proper taking care of your body now leads to health later. And spending the right amount of time with God now and developing and fostering that relationship, whether it's with the Lord or your spouse or your kids, leads to relationship later. And what the enemy will always want you to do is take away that future prosperity and exchange it for some type of short-term need now. And so the enemy, Jacob, is preparing the trap while Esau is out. He's going to leverage the weakness of his own brother. He's going to make the spiritual transactional. He's going to get him to exchange his future prosperity just to meet a present need. And here's the last thing that's going to happen. He's going to say, sell me your birthright now. Now. The enemy will always want to make urgent what God is saying, keep patient. 
On the flip side, the enemy will also always want to make patient what God is saying, keep urgent. The enemy will flip the time. And so the, the enemy will say, no, no, we got to do this right now. We got to do this right now, right now, right now. When you're going, I don't know about this, I need to take some time and think and pray about it. <laughs> the salesman will say, you got to buy it right now. When you know you don't have any money to buy it right now. The enemy will try to get you to do right now what God is saying. Whoa, 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 be patient. Here's what else the enemy will do. The enemy will try to get you to be patient on all the things that God is saying. No, I need you to do this now. Give me your life. Surrender your heart. Confess that sin. Restore that relationship. End your bitterness. Learn to be faithful in this new way. Take the step toward obedience. And the enemy will say, no, 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 you can do that later. You can do that later. You can do that later. And the enemy will try to foster this, this just put it off. Or in the reverse, I'll say, you got to do it now, 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 now. And God's saying, be patient, be patient, be patient. Jacob here is fully, completely an enemy of Esau. So much so that, that his, his tactic works. And Esau ends up selling him his birthright, which is a very poor decision. He gives it all up. He eats the stew. They make the exchange. There's a swearing of oaths. And at the end, it says Esau sells his birthright. And the rest of the story plays out. And today we say, God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because of one poor decision. Where is the hope in all of this? Where's the hope in all of this? See, you and I, you and I, and we always do this at the end of this series, we say, where, where am I in the story? You're the stew. No, I'm just kidding. You're not the stew. Okay. Make sure you're still with me. You and I, in our weakness, not our physical weakness, but our spiritual weakness, we needed a friend. We needed somebody who wouldn't take our weakness and expose us. We needed somebody who would see us in our weakness and be a friend to us. Now, I'd never seen this before, before this week, but, but Romans chapter five, Romans chapter five, if you have a Bible, you can flip over there because I'm gonna spend the rest of our time here this morning. Romans chapter five actually like reads as the reverse, the reverse of the story of Jacob and Esau. See, Esau went back and after his little journey and, and he exposed himself to a brother who turned out to be an enemy. But you and I, in our weakness and in our inability to spiritually stand strong and to stand up, we too needed a brother, but we have something even better than a brother. We have a savior. See, Romans chapter five says this, for while we were still weak, exhausted, faint-hearted, when we had an inability to stand strong, when we were in need of a brother at the right time, Christ didn't operate too urgently and he didn't operate too patiently. He operated at exactly the right time. When you and I were in need 
physically, spiritually. When you and I were in that place, Christ acted at exactly the right time, and he died for the ungodly. See, in Jacob, Esau found an enemy who would expose his weakness, leverage it against them to destroy his future prosperity. In Christ, we find a brother and a savior who would conceal our weakness, take our weakness upon himself and give us his strength. And he wouldn't just serve us some stew, he would serve us with his life. He would give us his life. He would give us his strength in our moment of weakness. Romans 5 continues. It says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us while in that, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. See, in the story, Jesus is the anti-Jacob. He's the greater Jacob. He's the Jacob who, when he sees our weakness, covers, saves, and provides the strength to stand back up instead of the Jacob who would leverage weakness for his own gain. The story, though it doesn't just teach us how Christ was that to us, I think there's something further in this story as well. One last thing I want to share. And I think the story also teaches us how the church is supposed to operate. See, Esau, is a, he's a man of the field. He, he's, he's the guy of the world. He's like any of us who, who go out and who come back and who are in a position of weakness. But in our position of weakness, what do we all need? We need a brother. We need a savior. We get that in Christ. But what else do we need? We need a brother in the practical. And so in this, we also have to see a doctrine of the church that who are we to be as a church? When people come in with a weakness, when people come in with an inability to stand strong, what do we do? Do we expose the weakness? Do we leverage the weakness against them? Do you turn against them because of their weakness? Or do you do as Christ did? What the, what the better Jacob should have done. See, what should have happened in this story? What should have happened? Esau should have come in. He should have said, I'm weak. I can't stand strong right now. And his brother Jacob should have said, perfect. I just made this stew. It will give you all of the sustenance and the strength that you need. And then you can eat the stew. You'll feel good again. You won't have to make a poor decision. And you can go back out and hunt again and provide. That's what should have happened in the story. That's what the better story is supposed to be. And so our story, our church, has to tell the better story. That when people come in and they're in their weakness and they're exposed to it, that what we say is, great, come on in. We have something to offer you. Better than stew, we have Jesus. And so in your weakness, we're going to tell you to stand back up. We're not going to beat you down and expose you. We're going to bring you back up so that you can go back out and do what you're supposed to do. That's the true and better Jesus over Jacob is the true and better church over what Jacob was. 
In Esau, we should see any one of us at our moment of greatest vulnerability, exposed by someone who should have been a friend, a brother, then we should see ourselves in our greatest moment of spiritual vulnerability, covered by Jesus taking on our weakness, not leveraging it against us, seeing him serving us so that we're not destroyed by our weakness. We're redeemed and we stand back up in it. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.org.